we're going to jump into the message this morning. This is part three of, of this section that we're in on a call to discipleship. Every follower of Jesus has been called to be a disciple. And so we've been unpacking a little bit what it means to be a disciple. And so this morning, we're going to talk about obedience. Obedience is a key part of this. And so let's just pray one more time. And I would just encourage you, invite the Lord um, to speak some truth into your heart this morning. You know, it's very possible, especially if you've grown up in the church for a lot of your life, that obedience has been associated with legalism and like kind of just that strict religious mentality. And, and sadly, obedience has been often associated with that. Um, and the Lord doesn't want to heap heavy burdens on us um, that we become these really strict religious people that we fall into legalism trying to justify ourselves. None of that. But Jesus does call us to obedience. And so my prayer is that we would see this in light of what biblical obedience is, what God calls us to. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you. Thank you for your great love for us. God, would you, would you teach us, lead us, guide us into this this morning? God, help us understand what your call to obedience is really all about. God, that you love us and you give us good direction and instruction that's for our benefit and your glory. God, show us how you do that. Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you invite us into the joy of relationship with you, and that you call us to obey. Thank you for the example you gave us while you walked this earth, that you loved your heavenly Father and obeyed him as you lived this life. And Holy Spirit, we just, we thank you that you come and that you are our guide, as the scripture says. You teach us. You give us instruction so we know how to obey. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that you fill us with your presence and with your power so that we can obey. You give us grace to do what we can't do on our own. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you and we ask you to come and guide us during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so two quick things to remind us as we jump into this this morning. First of all, when we got into this topic of discipleship, we said just to really simplify things down, being a disciple is about becoming like your master. That's what it's all about. And so one frame of reference is to think about it like apprenticeship, okay? If I was gonna learn to be an auto mechanic, I'm gonna go spend time with someone who's an expert at being an auto mechanic. And I'm gonna learn from them. I'm gonna learn what they do and how they do it and why they do it. And so being a disciple of Jesus means I've decided he's the master of my life. And so from a biblical perspective, being a disciple means if I'm going to be like my master, it means I'm going to be like him in character. Like I want who he is and what he's like to rub off on me. I'm going to be like him in character and I'm going to have his purposes, his purposes. So I'm going to be like him in character and I'm going to adopt his purposes. What is, what's important to him? What's he up to in this world? And so some of my purposes will fall to the wayside as I align my life with his purposes. In other ways, I might see some of the things I deeply care about, they make more sense and work properly when I realize some of these things I care about, they matter to him too. But there's a certain way he's calling me to walk those things out. So character and purpose, that's what we're growing in. And then uh, last week I talked about how, um, I love the way Dr. Tony Evans put this, talking about being a kingdom disciple. 
being a disciple of Jesus is not about piling a bunch more stuff on top of the gospel. All right, it's not saying here's the gospel, now go do all this stuff. And it just like, we have this huge heavy burden we put on. It's not that. Being a disciple of Jesus is all about the gospel. And so the content of the gospel is simple. Jesus came as the perfect son of God and and lived his life on this earth. So it's his life. It's his death on the cross for you and I, his burial and resurrection and his return. He's coming again. That's the gospel. It's simple. It's clear. It's powerful. Okay. That's the content of the gospel. We're not adding to that. When we talk about becoming a disciple of Jesus, it's about understanding. It's about realizing more and more that the content of the gospel has a huge scope in my life. It touches everything. And so it's learning how the gospel affects me just as a man, as a woman, how it affects me as, as a husband, as a father, as a coworker, a neighbor, a friend. It's how, the, it's how the scope of the gospel touches every aspect of my life. Does that make sense? So this morning, we're gonna talk about the content and scope of obedience, how it ties in with the gospel. So three points this morning. Number one, obedience in the gospel. How do those go together? How do they fit together? Uh, that could be a whole sermon. I'm gonna give a brief explanation of that, but um, obedience in the gospel, number one. Number two, obedience and love. They, they've gotta go hand in hand. In fact, one comes first and leads to the other. Um, and then finally, number three, obedience and our attention our attention. All right, so here we go. Obedience in the gospel. This might seem like a weird starting point, but I'm going to go Old Testament on you guys to start this thing out. All right, so First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. I, just for time's sake, I'm really just going to hone in on these couple of verses, but there's an entire story going on here where King Saul took the commands of God And in this story, he not only just completely disregarded some of his commands, he also reshaped some of them to fit what he wanted to do. So he he disregarded them to a degree, and to another degree, he reshaped them, redefined them himself. And so now Samuel, the prophet of God, has come to him, is confronting him on this issue of obedience. And part of what Saul has said as Samuel's confronted him is like, well, hey, that way I didn't quite obey exactly right over here. It's because I was gonna take all this stuff that God said destroy and I was, I was gonna sacrifice it to him as an offering. Okay, so that's the context. And so Samuel says to him in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. I must say that again. To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, your translation might say, and presumption, or another word for presumption there is stubbornness. Presumption. Like, I've just presumed that it's okay for me to kind of fit this into my agenda. I'm stubbornly resisting something he's saying. Presumption or stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, 
he has also rejected you from being king. So we even see some direct consequences that are falling on Saul. So I want to unpack this a little bit, all right? Um, First of all, obedience is better than sacrifice. That gets echoed throughout the scripture. That is a concept from God. And the reason we need to stop and pay attention to this is we've got to understand how obedience ties in with the gospel. Because because the gospel is about addressing a very real problem that we all have, and it's the two things that Saul is being called out on. The first one is rebellion. Just outright, I'm living my own way. Rebellion is simply ignoring God's direction. It, It might be that I've heard what he said, and I'm just refusing to not do it. But another form of rebellion is also just not even listening for what he might be saying, just going my own direction. And see, for us sitting here, you know, in what century is it? 21st century, something like that. I don't know. In our modern times, like we hear Bible words like witchcraft or idolatry. Like for most of us, that's just not very real to us. It's like, I'm not at home practicing witchcraft, so I think I'm safe. I don't, I don't have a golden idol at home that I'm bowing down and worshiping. And so we, we disassociate from that. But Sam is saying, no, 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 we need to understand something. Rebellion is just like witchcraft. You know why? Because I'm always serving somebody. I like to think that I'm just serving my plans and my agenda. But Samuel's putting his finger on something here. If I'm resisting his direction, then what other power is there in this world? It's the power of the enemy. And so whether I like it or not, then I am following his agenda and his plan. So when I rebel against God's order, I am aligning myself with demonic influence. Yes? Okay, that's Bible, right? These things that that we align ourselves with, that we don't think of as spiritual in nature, that's what sits behind it. Ways of living, things that we focus on, things our culture celebrates. We just view them as kind of like, well, it's just, just kind of what we do. It's kind of normal. It's kind of everyday life. And, and it's every now and then we need to stop and pause and go, what's behind that? Spiritual forces. And so when we are just completely rejecting God's direction, that's rebellion. But Samuel also puts his finger on something else, this idea of presumption or stubbornness. This is not necessarily ignoring God's direction. It's changing God's direction to either fit my personal desires or to align with cultural norms. See, in this story, uh, Saul out and out rejected one thing God told him to do, But another thing that he did is he realized the people wanted to keep some of the best stuff from this battle they had gone to. And so the pressures of the people saying, why would we get rid of all of this? And so he determines, well, here's my plan. We'll sacrifice some of it. And that will honor God because sacrifices is part of what he does. We sacrifice all the time to him. We give offerings all the time to him. It's a very Old Testament thing to do. And so he tried to take it and go, well, this kind of fits what God's agenda is, but then also we get to keep some stuff over here. See, for him, it was for his own personal gain. The people will like me as their leader. See, for many of us as followers of Jesus, we might go, hey, I've already kind of 
mean, maybe not perfectly, but I've dealt with the rebellion piece. Like when the gospel of Jesus showed up, I realized I'd been living my life apart from him. And so I accepted his gospel and his forgiveness. And I've aligned my life with him and yeah, make some mistakes along the way, but like I'm not walking in rebellion. I look to God. But for many of us as, as followers of Jesus, we can slip into this second category of presumption and stubbornness where I, I take things that look right, they sound good, they look biblical, but I fit them in to my own personal desire, into the cultural norms, into my political ideology, and on and on and on. And like, as an example, it's often really easy to see, like, like there's some political things that are very clear to me, that's out and out rebellion. Like I, I look at a, you know, certain people on the political spectrum, and I go, man, that is clearly not God. That is in direct opposition to his truth. That is out and out rebellion. And I should acknowledge that and recognize it and stay far from it. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can, we can compromise things that more align with the way that we think and not realize, hey, there's stuff right here at home that kind of scratches my itch that needs to be submitted under what, God, under what God has to say. Does this make sense? And so we just, we need to be aware that both rebellion and also presumption or stubbornness, those are ways that we get off track. And God says, that's like idolatry. When we take some of what he's saying and mix it with our own desires or mix it with the culture, we have now changed its nature and we've made it an idol. And that's happening all over the place. So this is, this is real to us, guys. This isn't just some weird Old Testament story. This is real. Now, so why am I attaching this to the gospel? Well, because sacrifice is absolutely something God instituted, right? Like we see all throughout the Old Testament, these animal sacrifices, and there was significance in the blood to like cover, to forgive sin. God instituted it. And then Jesus, right? The whole gospel is that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, He's the fulfillment of that once and for all to cover my rebellion, my presumption, my stubbornness. I'm forgiven. All right, so sacrifice was God's plan. Listen, sacrifice is a part of the gospel. Sacrifice is God's arrangement for mercy and forgiveness. Why does he bring mercy and forgiveness? So we can have a reset so I can have an on-ramp back into right relationship with him. Does this make sense, guys? We talked about forgiveness last night. It's what it was all about. But listen, the whole of the gospel is not just, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace and I'm gonna keep struggling my whole life and I'm gonna keep messing it up. And so the gospel is just, there's new mercy and I can be forgiven. No, the gospel is to bring me into a healthy, right relationship with God so I can enjoy the life he has for me. Like his plan was the garden and the garden was good. It was good. There was freedom. There was wholeness. There was no sin death. There was joy. There was obedience. Like we know about the moment of failure, but until that moment, Adam and Eve walked in obedience and they enjoyed the presence of the Lord. We cannot detach obedience from the gospel. We're invited into a relationship with God and obedience is a, is a natural, healthy part 
of our relationship. I should say it's a supernatural healthy part because in the natural, I'm not great at obeying. Uh, even with supernatural help, I struggle with obeying. Um, okay, so I just want to now reconnect. We're going to kind of spend the rest of our time this morning in John 14 and a little bit John 15. And so to kind of summarize this, biblical obedience is our heart response that flows out of a healthy relationship with Jesus. I want to say that again. Biblical obedience is a heart response that flows out of a healthy relationship. And that's what Jesus came to restore. That's why the sacrifice. All right? John 14, verses 15 through 17. Just in case you think, well, this whole obedience thing, you know, you're building that in the Old Testament, man. What does this have to do with Jesus and New Testament? John 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if you're in a healthy love relationship with me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just something you'll do. Verse 16, and I will ask the father and he'll give you some help with that. <laughs> right? Because I need help with that. He'll give you some help. I will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Like, the world's not been called to obedience. I mean, they have. They're being called to be reconciled to God. Apart from him, we can't obey. We won't. Obedience is a special aspect of being a saved, redeemed follower of Jesus because then he calls me into a love relationship and he gives me his presence so I can do it. And so the spirit of truth comes whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Friends, the gospel of Jesus brings us into right relationship with God and this relationship leads to obedience. Notice two things here. Number one, God gives us help because obedience isn't about perfection and it's not about earning his approval. Those are two of the main reasons we get ripped off in this area of obedience. We feel like it's about perfection and that's impossible. No, he already knows it's not possible. He knows we won't be perfect. This isn't about perfection. It's also not about being good to earn his approval. We are already loved. He counted us worthy of love while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So number one, God gives us help in this relationship so we can obey him. And then secondly, it's kind of implied, but I just want you all to see this. Obedience is rooted in eternal relationship. I'll give you the helper to be with you forever. Forever. It's rooted in eternal relationship. And so what this does is it means followers of Jesus are meant to experience and enjoy obedience because now we're to point number two, obedience and love go hand in hand. All right, obedience is part of the gospel. Obedience and love go hand in hand. Look at the next verse, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He's talking about deep, loving relationship, rescuing us. Because like an orphan on their own, they're, they've got no help, they've got no hope. They need to be rescued. And so God says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, for Jesus, there's no distinction here. This wasn't confusing to him. There was a natural blending, a natural marriage of obedience and love. They were just woven together in relationship. See, Jesus sees obedience this way. He sees it woven into the beauty of our love relationship with him. That's it. See, we're, we're anchored in a loving relationship with God. And so loving obedience follows. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're gonna pick this up in verse 23 now. This idea kind of continues on. Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, loving obedience anchors us in this relationship and it makes the fruit of the gospel grow and flourish in us. Y'all hearing that? Like being rooted in a love relationship with God. And, and what it does is it, it has this effect. It's like, um, it's like a snowball effect. All right, the love of God gets poured out in my heart and I, I choose then to walk in obedience to him because I'm, I'm just, I'm engaging in that relationship the way it was designed to be. Think about this, Jesus was God. And yet the New Testament tells us that, that when he came to earth in the form of a man, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He laid it down, and while he walked this earth, he walked in obedience to his father. He knew his father loved him, and he loved his father, and so it was very natural for him to look to the father, to enjoy that relationship, and to obey the things God called him to. And so he now is telling the disciples, hey, this thing that I've enjoyed with the father, you get to enjoy that too. It's better for you that I'm about to ascend to heaven because you're gonna enjoy this beautiful, beautiful love relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The abiding love of God that Jesus experienced, he says, I'm sharing it with you. We're gonna come and be at home with you. And so obedience is about enjoying that relationship and following a good father who loves us. That's what it's about. Don't ever let them be separated. They're united. And there's some beautiful things that flow out of this loving obedience. One example is, is uh, right here in the same passage, verse 27 now, coming right off of the heels of what Jesus said. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled 
neither let them be afraid. One of the beautiful things that flows out of our love relationship with God, when I just decide, God, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna listen for your direction in my life, it anchors me with peace in any season. In any season. Like y'all, I'm just like an American with a comfortable home and I've been heartbroken these last few days just watching what's unfolding. And at times I feel like it's been fighting to steal my peace. Like I was awestruck when these pastors in Russia and Ukraine are saying, would you be a non-anxious presence for us? And it was just like, oh, I'm trying to enter into it with them. And they're going, no. Like, would you, would you be a reminder of the peace that passes all understanding? Like, would you hold on to Christ in the midst of this? And so his peace is different than the world's peace. Like Ukrainians had peace and then somebody invaded their country. Now they don't have peace. But Jesus says, my peace is bigger than that. In all circumstances and situations of this life, my peace is present because I am present with you. You don't understand what's happening right now. You don't know where this might lead, where this is going, what might happen to you or your family. Hold on to me, trust me, be attentive to me. I love you and care about you and I will guide you into good things. See, part of where I get off track in equating love and obedience is a lot of times I think the things he's calling me to obey aren't very good. It just sounds like a lot of work. Or maybe I've even been really good and obedient, but like, gosh, I'm looking around going, I'm not seeing huge blessing right now. Some of them got it, but I don't, right? Kind of like that elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Like I've been here serving faithfully all these years and you didn't even throw me a party. Like, because I'm, I'm separating obedience from a loving God. His love first. He loves me enough to invite me in to healthy, good ways of living. Guys, think about it. The gospel is rescuing us from our own brokenness and the broken principles of this world. So if I've been rescued out of that, then why wouldn't I want the good thing that he offers me? He offers me a life that is good. This side of heaven, it's not perfect, but it's good. It's good. And so obedience is about saying, God, I choose to believe and trust that you want what's best for me, what's good for me. And so I don't wanna reject you in rebellion or ignore you. God, I don't wanna be stubborn or twist partial truths of what you're saying to fit my agenda God, my agenda's broken. Why would I want to align with the agenda of this culture? This culture is lost. God, I want your truth, your life, your reality. And so help me more and more by your presence in my life. You're with me. Help me to hear what the right thing is and then help me to do it. Yeah? Peace. One more really quick in passing. This is now into John 15. Still the same conversation with the disciples. In John 15, as Jesus is continuing this theme of abiding in him and obeying him, verse, or chapter 15, beginning in verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, this abiding love and this way of obedience, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy might barely get you by. No, that it might be full. This is just, this is just a taste. There's more than, than just peace and joy. But like peace and joy are a really good place to start. Like this loving, obedient relationship with God produces peace and produces joy in my life. This is what he has for us. All right, last thing. So obedience is connected with the gospel. Obedience and love are meant to be in unison with one another. In fact, love, it's the love of God that flows into an obedient life. It's my loving response back to him. They're tied together. Number three, obedient. I wanna to talk to you about obedience and our attention. Okay, this is where we get real practical. How do I obey? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, there's, there's kind of two key words in the New Testament that get translated obey or obedience. The first one is what we've been seeing over and over again in John 14, where he says, keep my commandments. Or the, the one who loves me keeps my commandments. Like he just repeats that word keep, okay? So that word keep, it means attentive watching. That word keep, attentive watching watching. It's to observe. It's to keep watch like a guard keeping watch. Like, I, like I, I'm, I'm on duty. I'm ready. I'm attentively watching. It means to mark attentively. I see what's happening over there. God's highlighted something over there. And because I'm attentively watching, I see it and I can respond. Okay. So it's, it's watching with the purpose of acting on what I see. It's not just passive. That's why it says attentive watching. I'm not just passively going, oh, that's interesting. God's doing something over there. I'm at attention, watching to see what he might call me into. All right, the second word, um, uh, it's used, for example, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That word obedient, it's similar to keep, but it means attentive listening. Attentive listening. Obedience is about attentive watching and an attentive listening. It means listening in order to hearken or comply. It means to heed what you hear. So I not only heard it, I'm like gonna do something with it. This makes sense? Let me give you an example of this. I, had a, I still have a good friend, but years and years ago, a good friend of mine, this is like 20 years ago, uh, he had this black lab named Hunter. And man, he, he loved that dog. He was a great dog. Um, but he really worked with him a lot and was like training him and stuff. And so Hunter was being trained to go pick up the ducks, all right? I'll leave it there to not maybe potentially make kids in the room sad. But like Hunter was being trained to go pick up ducks after something else had transpired. And so when he was training Hunter, like he used treats and he taught him commands. And so what he would do is when he was teaching him to fetch, he would have him sit and look at him and stay right there and not move till he told him to. And so it'd be like, Hunter, sit. Boom, he chucked the tennis ball. And Hunter would sit. And I mean, he would just stare, like poised and ready, just stare up at Wes, like I'm ready to go. And this is, this is how well-trained and obedient this dog was. As he looked at Wes, he waited for the words. And so the words were, fetch it, or fetch it up. That's what he'd say, fetch it up. But he'd mess with him. 
And so he'd, he'd like, Hunter's all eager and excited, and Wes would go, Fletcher. And he'd like start to go and would stop. He'd go, Fulcher, Flicker. Like he'd say all these words that were really close to fetch, and that dog didn't move. That dog knew the difference between fetch and fletch. Like he caught the L. Man, that dog will teach us something about obeying Jesus. I don't listen that good. He loved his master. In fact, he worshiped his master. New Testament worship, it means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. It means to fawn or to crouch in reverence, to adore. One of the the most biblical explanations of worship is the way a dog worships its master. Love, excitement. I've joked about this. I don't have a super well-trained dog, but he does love me. Y'all have heard me talk about this. When I walk in a room, Charlie's tail starts wagging. That's love, adoration. He's excited that I'm there. Attentive watching, attentive listening, because I love my master and my master's good. And he's gonna send me off on a fun adventure. I can't wait to go get that ball and bring it right back to him. Hey, look what I got, dad. (laughs) If I'm a really good dog, I'll drop it at your feet instead of fighting you for it. Y'all see the picture? See, the reality is attentive, attentive obedience, it's about worship. Tied right back into love. This amazing God who loves me has rescued me. That's the gospel. And I get to enjoy loving relationship with him. He takes care of me. And, and I'm in awe of that. So I adore him. And I, I realize it might sound demeaning to think you're calling me a dog. But like our dogs, I often wonder what they think about what we're doing all day long. They just gotta be like, these people are geniuses. I don't even, they're on some other level. I don't understand what's going on. They, they get in that thing over there with wheels and they just disappear and they end up right back here. And sometimes I get in it with them. It's like a magic box. I was at home and now I'm at the park. Like, like do you ever think how beyond them we are? No wonder they worship us. They're just like, you blow my mind. You're amazing. And there's plenty of food and water and a comfy bed. And, you know, they're just, they're just blown away. Like Jesus loves me and the, the Bible does say he's my friend, but like Jesus ain't just my pal. He's God. He's bigger than me. He's beyond me. But he doesn't stay aloof. He loves me. He loves me enough to be cared about all the intricate details of my life. He cares enough to say, hey, here's how you can obey me today in such a way that your marriage will flourish. Hey, you think I'm calling out that thing in you and it bothers you and you're annoyed by it, but actually I'm correcting you because it's gonna grow you and it's gonna, it's gonna bring health to relationships around you. Trust me, because I'm bigger than you and I'm smarter than you, but I love you. It makes me happy when we're together. That's how God thinks towards us. Biblical obedience is about worship. And worship is about more than singing on a Sunday morning. That's a part of it. I was thinking about it like this this week. I don't, maybe this will seem weird or crass or whatever. I don't know. Sunday morning singing is like 
wagging our tail and getting excited when the master enters the room. Hey, I get to hang out with him today. This is fun. It's a, it's a little celebration. But it's worship when I'm just daily attentive and obedient to what he's saying and doing. That's worship. That's worship. See, here's the bottom line. Our attention determines our intention. Our attention determines our intention. If I intend on obeying and following Jesus this week, then I'm gonna have to turn my attention to him. I'm going to have to give him my eyes and my ears. Otherwise, whether I realize it or not, I've already started the sin of presumption. Because if I'm not attentively watching and attentively listening, how can I possibly obey? Does this make sense? Yeah. So if my intention is I want to enjoy loving relationship and, and loving obedience with my master, then I have to purpose to give him my attention, give him my eyes, give him my ears, that I might be ready to respond to what he wants to say. See, this directly addresses back where we started. <laughs> if I'm attentively watching and attentively listening, well, I for sure won't be in rebellion because rebellion's flat out ignoring him. But I also don't have to worry about the sin of presumption or stubbornness because I'm ready to respond to what he's saying. Not tweak the command and go at Fletcher <laughs> instead of fetch. God, I want, I want the purity of what you have for me. I want to say yes to you. So biblical obedience, it's rooted in the gospel. It flows from a love relationship and it's lived out daily by being intentional about where our attention lies. Amen? This is good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. Is it hard at times? Yeah. But he sends a helper. He sends a helper. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us. Jesus, thank you for the loving obedience we see in you. In fact, because you lovingly, sacrificially obeyed your Father and his plan, we are redeemed. Your sacrifice on the cross was a direct example of this. In fact, at the highest order. And because of your perfect obedience, we can stumble through with imperfect obedience because we're already loved, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. And so now we can enjoy relationship with you, relationship with the heavenly father because you've restored that relationship. And so Holy Spirit, would you come be present in our hearts? Thank you that you teach us, that you remind us, that you help us. May we be attentive to your presence daily with eyes to see what you're up to, with ears to hear what you're saying to us so we may respond in obedience and further enjoy that snowball effect of obedience and love and the way they work together for us to know you more and better and to experience the life you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.